0: And welcome back to Regionally Speaking. He's Tom Maloney and I'm Dee Dodson. According to the West Health Gallup 2022 Healthcare in America report, a multitude of Americans give the U.S. healthcare system overall a poor or failing grade, and majorities rate its affordability and equity the same way. Access to health care and quality of care are regarded as somewhat better, though neither earns majority-level positive grades. Additionally, health care problems Americans start facing when they reach 50 years of age are compounded when the high cost of health care prevents them from seeking treatment, taking their prescriptions, or leading an otherwise healthy lifestyle. On the national stage, there has been a partisan divide around a universal health care system, but a newly formed local organization recently polled community members to gauge the level of support as well as the knowledge for Medicare for All. We turn now to Joseph Kahn, a co-founder of Northwest Indiana Medicare for Life, Paul Kachaha, the organization's chair, and the former president of Steelworkers Local 6787, and Jennifer Bazutu-Dean, a member of the polling committee, as well as the treasurer for the Munster Democratic Party Precinct Organization. Thanks to each of you guys for joining us here on Regionally Speaking.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having us.
0: Thank you very much. Absolutely. So before we get into the results of the poll curated by your group with the assistance of Indiana University Northwest, please take a moment to share with our listening audience the genesis for the group Northwest Indiana Medicare for All.
1: Uh, I think uh, Joe could probably answer the, the genesis question because uh, he started the group before I ever got involved with it. Joe?
2: Yeah, um, I met a blonde at a bar. Uh, seriously, we, uh, there was a uh, meeting by Northwest Indiana uh, Group at the Newer Bakery Cafe the 4th of uh, 2017. And there was a lady standing at the bar named Sheila Sweeney, and we set up a conversation, and she was interested in health care reform, and so was I, and so the next morning, Sheila posted a uh, a Facebook page for us, and uh, that's got us started. So we've been around, actually, since uh, December of Uh, 2017 and kind of organized around the Facebook page but uh, she was not directly participating in the organization anymore she's still a friend but uh, Paul uh, is modest he's been at this fight for national health insurance through the Steelworkers Union and and way longer than I have but I've been at it for about five years and Paul's come along and taken over from she was our first chair I've been the treasurer since we started, but
3: that's how it got started. And full disclosure, I am actually a member of that Facebook group as well. So for our listening audience, um, I'm familiar with the organization. And um, getting a call just a couple of weeks ago, uh, Joseph, uh, discussing the the poll that you had done uh, through the group. So my question is: Is this the first poll, and if so, why now, as opposed to a couple of years ago or at any other point? And if it's not the first poll, uh, how long's the uh, the polling process been going on?
1: This is a, uh, a historic poll um, because we don't know if anybody, if Indiana, let alone uh, or anywhere in Northwest Indiana, let alone anywhere in Indiana has been uh, polled on the question of uh, Medicare for all. And, uh, you know, we we polled, uh, got the opinions of Northwest Indiana residents in the fourth precinct in Highland in July and August of last year. And uh, myself and about uh, a dozen other people, I think, helped participate in uh, going door to door in that precinct. And um, we wanted to you know, measure. You you, you can't improve something that isn't measured, uh, that you can't measure. And um, as an educational organization, because that's what we are, you know, we wanted to get a baseline uh, for our group to measure what the work of our educational work is in is doing and how effective we are. And um, we chose the precinct of uh, Congressman Van because we met with them like. Uh, he came to our, our forum early uh, in the in the primaries before his uh, primary election. He came to a forum that we had of all the candidates. We invited Republican and Democratic candidates. And um, quite a few of them showed up to the forum. And it was right at the time that the pandemic was breaking. And you know that uh, primary was delayed. But he won the primary. And then we met with him again after he was elected. And we had a Zoom meeting with him. And we asked him to endorse H.R. nineteen. 19- 76, and that's uh, the legislation that was put in in, in uh, January 2021, the um, uh, Medicare for All Act of 2021 by Primal Jayapal, and uh, we asked him to endorse that. His predecessor, uh, Pete Visklossi, had endorsed the the legislation in his uh, ter- last, last term, at least, and, and I'm not sure if it was before that or not, I can't recall, but... Um, So we asked him to also endorse the uh, Medicare for all legislation and he said he's, he's going to think about it and work on it. And since then we've met with them twice more once early last year and late last year, just about a month ago, we met with them again. And the previous time we met with them, we asked him to uh, meet with Congressperson Jayapal and uh, which he did. And uh, we, we have yet to, he couldn't recall when we met with him in December what, uh, uh, he talked to her about, but um, when we went through and had this uh, poll, it was, we, you know, it's historic because we don't think anybody's ever done anything like this. And from what the response of his uh, congressional aides were, they, they never heard anything like this was has been done. And we had a 10 question poll. And I think you may have seen that poll. Mm-hmm. And we ended up asking a hundred people in that, uh, we went to hundreds of houses, uh, 325 Houses, and we got a hundred responses uh, from the people that we uh, that were going around polling, and um, so of those um, um, hundreds, that's what we have a breakdown. We'll be discussing with you, and we we have to give thanks to uh, uh, the Highland Town officials and uh, North Township Trustee Andrew Santos for letting us use a little sliver of uh, Wicker Park uh, for two weekends for two Saturdays, uh, like I said before, in July and August. So, uh, Paul, um,
3: really quick, um, before we go any further on the poll, I, I should note, um, and this is probably the, the error on my part, uh, can you explain for the listening audience, what is Medicare for all? We, we hear the term, and uh, Representative Jay Paul is a Democrat from Washington State out West, so this is something that clearly has interest Across the country, we hear the term, we hear the phrase, but we don't necessarily know the facts behind it. Can can one of you uh, go ahead and, and explain the concept of Medicare for all? Yes,
1: uh, Medicare for all and its predecessor legislation that's been around for uh, a, quite a while. Um, I worked in in uh, in the nineties the and that about um, HR six seventy six, which was uh, Medicare for All Act. Uh, it was uh, everybody in, nobody out. And that's what this is. Medicare for all is saying that we take the Medicare legislation that's there now, and we expand it to cover everybody from cradle to grave. And it would cover any procedure a doctor would prescribe for a person and any drugs that the per- were prescribed for a person. Anything that was medically necessary would be covered by, uh, would be paid for. And um, you know, that includes, uh, hearing, uh, aids, that includes, uh, um, chiropractic services, that includes elder care after, you know, when you're, when you're, um, this, when you're in a, a disability state as a elder person, um, we cover everything basically, and, you know, better than what even Canada has, but, and, and uh, that's what is proposed in this legislation, cradle to grave coverage of everybody in the United States.
0: Uh, and Jennifer, you might want to chime in on, on this. Let, let's talk about uh, some of the findings of the recent poll. Well, first of all, what was the goal uh, for the poll? And then what were some of the key questions that were asked?
4: Well, the reason we wanted to do the poll was to get like an idea of how many people in Northwest Indiana know about Medicare for All, what they know about it, and how many people that know about it support it. So the reason I I know Tom had asked earlier, why now? Why did we wait to do the poll? Well, to do a good poll, it takes resources, it takes money, it takes know-how, it takes manpower. And we actually finally had the chance to collaborate with most of the IUN, Indiana University Northwest on this. So we, we jumped on the chance to get their professional input to help make a good viable poll. So that's why we waited until now to do what we did. In terms of The political breakdown of the participants we pulled in Highland for, we did everyone we could find, you know, Democrats, Republicans, independents. The majority were Democrats, the 31% in Highland, but there were 24% said they were independent and 15% said they were Republican, uh, 5% said they were Libertarian, and 13% selected none or other like they didn't have a political affiliation. So, you know, it was a decent, you know, accumulation of different people in different political groups. We went ahead and let's see. We went ahead and talked to them door to door. I didn't actually participate in that part because I was busy working with someone for Democratic Party that was during the elections for that. But I know Joel and several other people in the Northwest Indiana group um, did the door to door part. I just helped work on the poll and then looked at the findings they found. So we definitely saw that Democrats supported it the most, but it had broad support across all the different groups, which was pretty impressive to see we even had some more support than the national average in some cases which joe might be able to speak more to that because he studies that a little more but 90 percent of democrats we polled said that they you know supported medicare for all 80 percent of the independents we polled said they support medicare for all 68 percent of the non-affiliated people said they supported it 66 percent of republicans and 60 percent of libertarians said they supported it all in island four
3: So how representative, I guess, is Highland District 4 for the region uh, in terms of its not only political demographic, but in terms of race and just general population? uh, Do you think you could extrapolate these types of numbers in a place, say, like Lowell or over in Valparaiso and Porter County or even out in Michigan City or LaPorte?
4: Well, they seem to follow the national trends we see in in actual, like, Gallup polls, too. Some of ours were a little higher than the national, but they were pretty close. So I, I do think you could extrapolate a lot of this information to say that the majority of people in this area would feel relatively the same way as the people pulled in Highland 4.
2: I could jump in here real quick. The key questions, we had 10 questions, as Paul mentioned, and we had two of them about Medicare for All and their support. And this is mirroring some polls uh, on the national level, where they asked the question in a couple of different ways. And um, we asked it, two different ways. One of them was pretty simple. Would you support expanding Medicare, the federal health insurance program for senior citizens to cover every American, regardless of age, what's commonly called Medicare for all? And we gave them five choices. I strongly support, I somewhat support, I somewhat oppose, I strongly oppose, and I'm unsure. So combined across all respondents, support among Highland voters was a solid 76%. They answered either they strongly or somewhat supported Medicare. Further, the results from Highland closely mirrored those national polls on this and the other key uh, health care payment issues. Uh, but to be clear, you know, we're talking about not a government-run health care delivery system, but a, health, uh, a government-run health insurance system. We're not going to hire the doctors and run the hospitals, we're just going to pay the bills for the hospitals and the and the doctors. Um, one of the things that uh we want to compare though is is that there's an element about healthcare uh Medicare for all that sometimes people find to be a bit put off. During the pre- the most recent elections, everybody's saying well, we want to give people a choice, and so we're not going to go with Medicare for all because it's taking away people's health insurance. And and so the second way we asked the question was, um, would you be willing to give up your current health insurance plan for a Medicare for all plan that provides better coverage at lower cost and can never be taken away? That's the wording of the question. The second question five the wording that question reflects some basic truths about Medicare for All. Yes, those with private insurance would have to give it up. That's the only way we can achieve the level of savings we need through what's called administrative simplification. There are literally thousands of insurance plans out there. And to, to keep track of all of that and point your billing systems at those particular plans, it causes uh, an enormous amount of waste of effort. It's been estimated that administrative simplification alone, just by eliminating that layer of private health insurance, would save us $327 billion a year. Just savings on that alone. And that $327 billion figure is from an exhaustive peer-reviewed study by researchers at the University of Massachusetts Amherst which came up with a total of six hundred and sixty seven billion dollars in annual savings for Medicare for all. The rest would come in drugs, you know, negotiated lower drug prices, negotiated lower prices with stocks and hospitals and, and having a real war on medical medical fraud. And that would that would bring us six hundred and sixty seven billion dollars in savings. So we he asked the question the second way. And with Medicare for all, every uh the benefits would be that every every person's health insurance would be separated from the precariousness of employer linked health insurance. If you have a union contract coming up, negotiations, you know, you might not do so well on, on, on your health care. Uh, if you have a short term or long term financial difficulty, maybe your health care is gonna you're gonna lose If you're if you're divorced and your spouse has your health insurance, that might cause it to go away. So the benefits you get for giving up your private health insurance is, is you'll get better coverage, as Paul alluded to, and you'll also get a battle-tested health plan, Medicare, that's going to be improved from what you have right now, with things like dental and, and other stuff. So in our poll, there was, as expected, some shrinkage of support between the first way we asked the question Question four and the second way. Question five, which included you're going to have to give up your health insurance, and the second way the overall support was still sixty-two percent, still a sizable majority, but it was down about fourteen percentage points from seventy-six percent in question four, without giving up your health insurance. So there was that's about the same in a national poll. Well, national poll uh, wording of the question. Uh, makes this variable very hard to measure and harder to compare from one poll to another. But, for example, in January of 2019, the very respected Kaiser Family Foundation, which has been doing a lot of polling in this area over a long period of time, worded the same question uh, two different ways. One asked if uh, respondents would support in the wording. It was creating a government plan, like Medicare, open to everyone, provided Americans could keep. Their health insurance company. Uh, it was supported by 71% of those polled at the time, which was slightly lower than our 76% for our similarly worded question for. So we're, we're in the national ball yard at 76%. Kaiser's other wording asked if there was support for a program and it said in quote, Americans would get their health insurance from a single government plan. An implicit in that is is that they're going to have to pick up the road. Which was close to our question five. I think we were a little more explicit in in in, in what we're asking. Um and uh support for that wording in the Kaiser poll was fifty six percent. It was a fifteen point percentage point drop. So uh, we really worked hard when when Jennifer and I were working with the at IU, and to get the wording of these questions just right, without putting uh, our thumb on the scale, and the change in our poll between responses for question four and five uh, might have a lot to do with with um, uh, people's own particular support and attitudes for insurance status. Paul might talk about in a minute, but. Uh, In our poll, and I'll I'll stop talking in just a quick second, but in our poll, something really interesting happened between those two questions that I think is key. When we asked the second way, um, that is, you have to give up your health insurance. Pine support for Medicare for all dropped from 76% to 62%, as we said. 14% point drop. Almost identically in line with the drop in the Kaiser poll. (laughs) But in our poll, like Kaiser's, there remained a strong majority of support either way. Uh, but what what Kaiser didn't ask, and we did, sort of, we could figure out, is where did those supporters go? Where did that 15 percentage point drop? Did they become enemies of Medicare for all? Kaiser didn't ask folks if they were un, unsure, and we did. And so that gave us a unique outlook on this. Interestingly, only a few Highland participated joined the opposition. I mean, the Highland people that we polled. Only a few of them joined the opposition. Uh, the, the opposition people who were opposed, they increased only by four percent points. Uh, and still a minority at 21%. Most of the people that, that dropped, most of them migrated to the Uninsured college. Which more than doubled. It went from seven percent on question four to sixteen percent on question five. That's a nine percentage point jump in uninsured. So, what this tells us is is that uh, we've got some work to do. We're looking at this situation as a challenge. As an educational organization, is we need to explain to those fifteen percent. Most of them went to un- unsure why they should not be unsure or afraid of switching to a national health insurance program. I think we're almost home with this. We've got 76% support across the board, across all parties, and political uh, persuasion. We just need to work on that 15% that that wants to change when they're explained the full aspect of what this means to go to national health
3: insurance. That's Joseph Kahn uh, joining us here on Regionally Speaking, along with Jennifer Pizzuto-Dean and Paul Kachaha with the Northwest Indiana Medicare for All group. I'm Tom Maloney. She's D. Dotson.
0: Um, And I'll pose this question to any of you guys. So some people are quick to note that while it would provide medical coverage for all, some of the cons for Medicare for All include requiring a tax increase, as well as it not addressing a major concern in our country right now, which is a shortage of doctors. So what do you... say to, to to that when you hear those comments
1: well um there may be a slight tax increase a slight tax increase but the cost savings where um you no longer have to pay uh, a premium for health insurance so you're saving that you're no longer even if you do have in, uh health insurance you usually have high deductibles depending on the level of insurance plan you have the the uh, lesser the plan, the higher the deductibles are, and then you also have co-payments that you have to make for drugs and for uh, going to see a doctor on a lot of things. All those things would be eliminated. You'd have no co-payments, you have no deductibles, so you make a huge savings. And and the overall, even with a tax increase of a few hundred dollars a year, that gets you know wiped away quickly by all the savings you have on eliminating insurance, private insurance that you have. You know, private insurance actually won't disappear completely because some people might want insurance so they can get uh, elective surgeries like augmentations and uh, and whatever you know. But uh, it'll be it won't be a lot of people with those. Only people with a lot of money who want to want to make changes to their body. And I should note, Paul, and you, know, the- you might want to elaborate a little bit on the on the savings too. There's been studies done on the amount of money that. Uh, whether or not people have to pay more taxes. Also, businesses will benefit greatly by uh, Medicare. We have we have business owners who are in, involved in our organization who will who recognize that, you know, their employees will be able to get health insurance because they can't afford to give their employees health, small businesses particularly. And uh, all the big steel companies, for example, or big companies, they're all self-insured, so they save a lot of money. And, you know, um, the number one issue, 80% of all strikes uh, are over health care. So, you know, the unions are are in favor of uh, uh, a national health care plan like Medicare for all also.
3: In, in that, um, you know, that, that takes a big bargaining chip off the tables, though, doesn't it, from some businesses in terms of, Hey, you got to have a job here in order to go ahead and have insurance. You can't leave your job because then you lose your insurance. And if you become self-employed, getting insurance is kind of tough. So I I don't know. I guess I'm I'm surprised to hear that that many businesses or business owners uh, are in favor of Medicare for all uh, simply because it is you know you want to get full time because you want those those health and benefit uh, options.
2: Well, if you were a business person, you you have One of the things you want to do, and I was a small business owner, so I, I can speak from experience. One of the things you keep a real sharp eye on are your expenses. And the problem with healthcare is, is for most businesses, this is not in their, uh, this is not in their roundhouse. You know, you're not, you don't have, you didn't get up in the morning to go out and run your bakery. You want to make donuts. You don't want to go out and shuffle papers on health care. You don't want to spend your time negotiating with an with insurance company right. for your employees' health care. And you have no control. It's a black box uh, uh, of expenses. They just come and tell you at once a year that your premiums are going to go up 6%, 7 8%, 2 3% over inflation. So this gets this, it, it gets it off their plate as well. So, yeah, there's, there is that. You've got the, the golden handcuffs with your health insurance, but on the other hand, you you to buy that gold, those golden handcuffs, you're spending uh, an uncontrollable amount of money uh, of the uh, expense for your business. But the the UMass study looked at this and the business impact, including premiums and administrative costs, were going to drop for healthcare between eight and thirteen percent. So they're still going to be required under Medicare for All to make uh, insurance contributions on their employees, just as they are now for Medicare. You know, your payroll taxes, uh, there's a Medicare provision that the the employer pays. So they're going to keep paying those taxes, but they're going to be paying less, 8% to 13% less. It, it's an amazing thing. I covered the healthcare industry for 17 years at a, a trade magazine in Chicago after I left the Post-Tribune, and, and it's $4 trillion a year. It, it, it dwarfs the Defense the Department. It dwarfs. <laughs> their, their, their budget is now a little over north of $800 billion. Could, they <laughs> <trillion>. <laughs> said, yeah,
3: could they survive I, I an
2: audit? Pardon?
3: I said, could they survive an audit?
2: Well, no, but I, but I don't think the healthcare industry could either. If it if it was audited, there would be such an uproar that people people would uh, they, they would have a river bowl. So you know, it's it, it's a it's a nasty situation, and um, it needs to be brought under control because we can't keep doing it. it just uh, it is not sustainable, and people have been saying that for a long, long time, Tom. I, I know you probably know. But at some point, it, the reality is going to assert itself, and, and we're not going to be able to, we're going to wake up one day and realize the things have crashed. And, and in fact, it's, all, it's already really crashed. Now, I want to give you one other thing that the poll came up with. We asked about medical bankruptcy. We didn't get a lot of response, but we didn't expect it. Only 2% of the poll, 1%, maybe 2% of the poll people that we pulled in Highland were willing to share with us that they, that they uh, had had a medical bankruptcy, and that's that's not too far out of the uh, the national average. But the thing is, I thought was the most interesting was that 22% of the people we polled, 22%, say that they had put off receiving health care, thought they needed in the past 12 months. 22%. And this is in a fairly affluent neighborhood in Iowa. And 98% of the people we polled were insured. 98% were insured. And yet, one out of five put off getting health care because they were concerned about the cost, even though they were insured. When yeah. we were talking with Congressman and I said, you know, Congressman, you walk outside the front door of your house, and you stand there on the porch, and you look to the left for two houses, and you look to the right for two houses, and providing it wasn't you, one of those neighbors on either side of you put off health care that they thought they needed because they were worried about costs.
3: And I should note and that so, uh, I've got a I've got a family member who uh, recently had to have surgery. She is on uh, Medicare, and a couple hundred dollars in terms of the uh, the final cost for her. Meanwhile, I am one of those individuals who has actually put off uh, dental work because of the cost. Even though I I do have dental insurance through my company through Lakeshore, and uh, the cost is too high, so I'm bra- I'm brushing and flossing extra hard. Maybe not too hard if you're a dentist you listening, go. but uh, yeah, I, I think there are people all across Northwest Indiana who, who do suffer from that. Uh, what are the long-term effects? And the, the long-term, I guess, not, not necessarily effects. Uh, what is the long-term outlook and impact when it comes to Medicare for All? Is this... Is it still a grassroots movement? Is it, is it finally getting hearings? Uh, H.R. 1976, again, that Medicare for All Act of 2021 uh, that was put through by Representative uh, Jayapal, um, was sent to a subcommittee on crime, terrorism, and homeland security on May 18th of 2021. And we are now into 2023. And uh, it hasn't made its way to the House, the Senate, or the President. Uh, where, where do we stand?
1: it's a long-term battle it's a long it's going to be a long haul it's nothing that's going to come overnight and it's programs like yours to educate people about what Medicare for all is for people to write their Congress people whether they're Democrats or Republicans to write them there's only there's only two Democrat congressmen for example in Indiana one of them uh, is Frank Mervan and the other one is Andre Carson down in Indianapolis he's endorsed HR in 1976 but Mervan has it and all the republic, the other six or seven Republicans there are in the state, uh, Congressperson, We're, for example, we're going to go after Rudy uh, uh, Yelcom over there in uh, the um, eastern section, the eastern second congressional district, and we're going to start asking him to endorse it, even though we know he's not going to. We, we're we're going to make a make him as part of our campaign also for Northwest Indiana because. A lot of our members in the group are from that area also. But it, it's not going to come overnight. It is a long term fight. Um, and like you said, it, it, even in a Democratic controlled Congress last year, it didn't move, the bill didn't move very far. But we had a record number of uh, congresspersons, 122 people had endorsed it. That's the most we've ever had for any. Um, Congressional any uh, legislation on national health care in my recent memory.
4: And something you have to think about, too, is why won't some of these people support it? And it comes down to, unfortunately, money and politics. So that is a huge problem that the Medicare for All bills face as well, when some of these congressional uh, or Congress people are literally being paid not to support it by the healthcare care industry, by the pharmaceutical industry, by the um, hospital industry even then they take these campaign donations and they're not going to give it a hearing because they don't want to be shown to vote against it. So they just don't bring it to the floor. So we as voters need to do our due diligence and check out our representatives and see who who are they taking money from and then push them to let go of that money and support what we need and what we want. And the more people that understand this aspect of politics, I think the further we'll get with Medicare for all as well.
1: One of the things we're doing as a, a group, uh, we have plans for the future. Is um, we're going to um, get you know we already have a, a lot of the, uh, large steelworker unions and um, steelworker or uh, retiree organizations, including the National Organization Endorsed HR nineteen seventy six, who have passed resolutions in their union meetings. And but we're we're also going to try to get resolutions passed in city councils and in town councils uh, in support of uh, Net, uh, medicare for all legislation and uh, we're even kicking around h- having a referendum in the area uh, getting a getting the question on the ballot it's been done across the country including uh, nearby in illinois and in wisconsin where they've uh, got it on the ballot and passed it as a referendum in the last election
2: so what, what is but it would indicative people level of support
3: i guess my question is um what is the uh, likelihood of it happening? Um, you know, you say it's a long term battle, but is this something that uh, if there's another Democratic president elected and Democrats regain control of the House again in two years, is, is this a two year battle or is this a decades long battle that you may not see the end of and, and somebody else will have to pick that up?
1: Um, like Jennifer said, you, it's not just uh, an education issue. It's also you're fighting, you know, a huge uh, um, battle with uh, people who have a lot of money.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, like, uh, uh, I forget who said it once. You know, you, it, it's hard to, uh, to fight with a uh, newspaper that buys ink by the gallons, by the barrels. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can't, we, we have to educate the public in order to get them to put pressure on the um, politicians to do the right thing. And I don't think it's a two-year battle. I think it's a, a long-term. But one thing we've all seen, that things, history can change almost overnight. We have seen more, very recently how um, a con- the country and other countries change almost overnight. And who's to say that we can't do this, that also? The right people get elected in the right spots. And all of a sudden, everything changes. And uh, But in the meantime, we can't hope for that. We have to do work in order to bring about a change as much as we can to change people's minds by educating them and change um, elected officials' minds by educating them, too, despite battling all that money. Somebody might have a lot of money to, to, to influence politicians, but we have the vote.
3: I think we can leave it there. We also oh, no, contribute we, to the
4: manpower, too. <laughs> uh,
3: on, that, on that note, Jennifer, with manpower, um, you, you spoke about having manpower to be able to do this poll earlier in the conversation. Um, what is the likelihood of more polling work being done by your organization, even in and outside of uh, Highland District 4 and across Northwest Indiana?
4: Well, now that we have a, a base poll that we were able to create with IUN, I think we'd like to try and do some more of this in the in the coming, you know, not now because it's cold and it's winter, but, you know, again, when summer comes, spring comes, I think that's on the agenda, um, seeing who can help go door to door in another district or in another precinct, uh, in another town perhaps, but um, I don't know that we currently, I'm not an officer of the group for that, so I don't know if we currently have any um, plans, like specifically what month of that, I'm more involved with the the Democrats in Munster, uh, having taking control of that group recently, and we would like to also do our own resolution thing. We would like to support candidates who support Medicare for All, and we were out there all summer long, and, and into the fall, door knocking for Mervan and getting the word out for his campaign to support him, and now we would like him to support us in this endeavor. So that's kind of what I was talking about with Manpower. We're the ones, I mean, we we can't give our Congress people the money say, you know, the health insurance industry can give them for their campaign, but we are out there as the boots on the ground and so we wanna see some payoff for our efforts too in helping the people in Northwest Indiana. So that's the manpower I was kind of alluding to. But I think we do have more people in Northwest Indiana Medicare for All now than before as well, and that's what we have more people available to go do these polls.
3: I was gonna say if you're if
4: are
1: yeah, listening to, to the conversation to now poll, um having a poll maybe in Gary, Indiana or in other um cities or and also the going to go uh, into Republican towns, maybe a, a more re- all of Laporte County and uh, Porter County voted for uh, uh, Mervant's opponents. So you know they're they're more reddish than they are blue, and uh, go to some of those towns and uh, take this poll. We're not afraid of taking the poll because we know uh, uh, almost fifty, more than fifty percent, or almost fifty percent of Republicans, depending on the poll that you look at are in favor of Medicare for All, too. So we have no qualms about going outside of a, a Democratic area.
3: So Republican, Democrat, uh, Libertarian, Green Party uh, individuals as well, if if people are listening and they want to get more information on your group or they want to join and help with polling endeavors in their own neighborhoods, uh, where can they get that information?
2: Our Facebook page is kind of our, uh, our home. Um, it's Northwest Indiana Medicare for All and um, go there and and start reading. Um, We have actually two Facebook pages. One of them is Northwest Indiana Medicare for All, and one of them is Northwest Indiana Medicare for All Members. Um, Members is a controlled group, if you're familiar with how Facebook works. You have to, you know, submit and ask uh, to be let in. Um, And so we'll, we'll, we'll let you in. We just we want to be able to have some control over who gets who's posting on that that site. The other one is more open to the public and for like newbies to come and look and lurk around and see what's going on. That's 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 how we set that up. So um but if you go to Northwest Indiana Medicare for All and uh, you'll find it on Facebook. And, and uh, Northwest Indiana Medicare for All members.
1: Those are the two. Yeah, members. You have to answer two questions about Medicare for all. They're, you know Pretty soon, yeah. We have Zoom meetings. We meet the second Wednesday of every month in the evening at 6.30. Since the pandemic's ended uh, or quelled, uh, we have uh, started meeting again in person and on Zoom. We have a hybrid meeting the second Wednesday of every month, and we meet at the United Steelworkers 6787 Union Hall, and we also Zoom it so you don't have to come to that uh, place. We also kicked around, maybe even having it at uh, holding it at another place, maybe in in Gary, uh, in addition to Zooming it. But um, we have, uh, um, you know, we have up to almost twenty people a month participating, or over that, I think, a month that participate between Zoom and in person.
2: Well, you uh, asked a question about taxes, and you know, and, and I wanted to address this quickly here. The U, UMass Amherst folks looked at a lot of things financing on this. And they came up with an estimate that that um depending on the size of your family and how much you're spending now on health insurance and health care and out of pocket expenses, if we pass Medicare for all, you will save a middle income family will save somewhere between two point six and fourteen percent of their family income. Not of what they're spending on health care of their family income. So uh I did the numbers. The median family income in Indiana is about $74,000 in 2019, $74,000. Family income means if you and your spouse both work, kid work, you throw it into a big jar and that's that's your family income. So that would be a savings range of between 2000 and $10,000 a year. So yes, your taxes, your payroll taxes are going to go up a little bit, but what you're going to be doing is you're not going to be paying premiums. You know, your are share of a premium to employer-sponsored health insurance. You're paying all of the premiums if you're getting your, your, uh, your health insurance through the Obamacare portal or, uh, you know, you're an independent businessman and you have to pay it all, all on your own. You'll be saving between two and $10,000 a year. Businesses, I said before, will save between 8% and 13% of their current health care expenses. So they know what that is. They can do the math. Our business community people will do the math. You know, as a small business owner, um, former small business owner, I would have loved to been able to afford providing health care insurance for my workers. I couldn't. This way, with Medicare for All, I know that all my people have got the best coverage on earth. So it would make me happy as a clam. And I think what it would cause is an explosion in entrepreneurship, because how many people can you imagine are out there thinking, gosh, I've got a great idea or I got this yearn to be uh, self-employed, but I got a daughter, I got a son. Uh, My wife has got this condition, you know, I don't think I can take the chance. I think it would cause an explosion in entrepreneurship. I think it would be the best thing that ever happened to unions. I was a union president, the president of the Gary Newspaper Guild uh, for seven years. I bargained two contracts. Both of them hung up. One, for four years, it hung up on health care. Four years. We went without raises because we wouldn't acquiesce to not covering people with pre-existing conditions. This is a long time ago, but that was pre-HIPAA, and that's what we were facing. We wouldn't do it. We wouldn't do a two-tiered system, until we hung up a contract for four years. And it's not changed. You go ask anybody in union leadership what's the one issue that causes the most problems, for most unions, it's it's healthy. Uh, And so this would take it off the bargaining table and allow those unions to bargain for benefits and and conditions, uh, which is where they should be. Uh, Wages, benefits, and conditions, not healthy. So it... This is a win-win for everybody. We just got to get folks educated on on its benefit. Get over this this notion that this is socialism or socialized medicine because it's not. It's basically having the government pick up a function that they're already doing with Medicare and Medicaid, and the Veterans Health Administration, and the Military Health and and the Indian Health Administration. All of them have health insurance, so. We're already doing close to forty percent of Americans, forty-five percent of Americans are already covered by some sort of medical, you know, government medical insurance. So just let's let's finish the job that we started and get everybody covered, like, like a, like a regular industrialized
1: nation. You know, we're the only industrialized nation not to have a national health care plan. And we have worse
4: health outcomes, worse mortality outcomes, and we pay more for it.
2: Yeah. I
4: don't know if you saw this,
2: you know, that Holcomb signed this grant. It was in the papers, uh, $1.9 million for prenatal care for, uh, a program for, um, uh, no, this was maternal child care, uh, in, uh, report La in Lake County. Uh, and you, you look at, you look at our, our, uh, Infant mortality rate, for example, in, um, in 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 Indiana, it's something like seven. Seven.
1: We lose have a better chance of living in the Gaza Strip than it does in Indiana.
2: Yeah, if you're you're a black woman uh, in Indiana, it's twenty. It's twenty two. Your infant mortality rate. And that means that twenty two babies die. For their first birthday out of a thousand live births. Twenty two out of a thousand live births, if you're a black woman. In in Indiana. And uh our infant mortality rate in the United States is something like 50th in the world. 50th. We're behind Cuba. And I'm not making this up. You can look this up. Go go Google World Fact Book, Infant Mortality Rates, and look. It's it's atrocious, and when you throw in that we're spending more money than any other country on earth by at least fifty uh, percent, it's we're being we're being robbed. We're being robbed of our children, and we're being robbed financially. It, it's robbed of stop. our health. Yeah, it's,
1: robbed it's, of our it's our health. got
2: to stop. You know, if a society can't take care of its infants, you know. It, it, it's not a just society. It's not a worthwhile society. We, we got help from IUN, and the class, the students, uh, w- it was a course on uh, on uh, disparities in health care. It was a master's degree course through the uh, SPIA department there. Uh, and the students were there in exploring the uh, racial and economic disparities in health care, and they're, they're a disgrace. It's an absolute disgrace. What we tolerate. Infant mortality rates in Lake County, I think, are about seven, quarter county, they're four. Explain to me why that is. And you know why it is. You know, you don't get pre- good prenatal care. That means you don't have good outcomes. And this not only affects the baby, it affects the mom. So the maternal mortality rate is is atrocious in Indiana too. And it's atrocious for minorities and people on low income. So it doesn't have. You don't have to be a minority. You just have to be poor. You know, and you'll have lower. You'll have lower uh, 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 survival rates for your babies, and you're going to have a lower supply.
3: I think this is a conversation that we can probably pick up at a uh, future date yeah. as well. But we will have to leave it there. Right. Jennifer Pizzuto, Dean Joseph Kahn, and Paul Kachaha. Joining us from Northwest Indiana, Medicare for All. And you can find that group on Facebook as well. I'm Tom Maloney. She's D. Dotson. This is Regionally Speaking. Thank you to all of you for joining us here uh, today on Regionally Speaking to discuss the latest on your first ever poll on the status of Medicare for All and how folks in Northwest Indiana feel about it in general. We're looking forward to uh, getting caught up with you again later this year. Let us know when uh, poll number two comes out
4: we will. Thank you very much. Thank you.
0: And that's it for regionally speaking for this week. Thanks to our guests from Northwest Indiana, Medicare for all discussing the recent poll results they presented to Congressman Frank Mervan in support for national health insurance. And we'll be back with you next week with fresh interviews on housing and the economy.